So I am really excited to have Jonathan Jingesh here and uh, from Samtech. And kind of before we get into this, I, I want to give kind of a, a, a somewhat long intro to kind of how we got to, to Samtech and a little bit of, of Oxide's approach. We talked about this in, in other episodes, I know. I know we talked about this um, when we had Kate on. We certainly talked about this when we had Doug on from Benchmark. But the, you know, our kind of view about the way we build this stuff um, is to us makes a lot of sense, but it is a little bit idiosyncratic. So when we we know that we're building a a large machine, much larger than we can build alone, and we are not really looking for. I mean, obviously we need suppliers, but we we're really looking for folks that are going to partner with us more deeply. And so one of the things that we do at Oxide is we really differentiate between partners and vendors. And a vendor for us is just selling kind of undifferentiated things. Um, and you know, I, the shipping is kind of the, the classic example of this. Like we do not have a dedicated shipping partner. We just kind of ship on, although, although actually maybe like, what, what is the one that, um, is it Pirate Bay? What, what's in the, no, no, Pirate, Pirate Ship. Pirate, Pirate Ship, thank Pirate, you. Yeah, right, exactly. yeah, Pirate yeah, Bay is the other one. Pirate Bay is the other one, whoops. Uh, yeah, Pirate Bay, no, no, we don't do anything with Pirate Bay, but, but we do, I, and so I, maybe, I don't know, Nathaniel, do you, you use Pirate Ship a lot? Maybe that is our yeah. preferred. I mean, I, um, I don't, I, I don't know, like for dollars spent, how much we spend there, but certainly mo a lot of us remote people use that a lot to ship because it's convenient and you just print the postage and go. All right, well, it's kind of heartbreaking if this is going to be a really special relationship that we have with Pirate Ship because we're going to have to find another example for something that is purely a vendor for us, um, but where we are are really not not differentiating. But for a, the for a lot of other things where we are really looking to go innovate with another company, we are really looking for for a partner. And we're really looking for someone who's gonna who's gonna understand what we're gonna go build it with us and go take responsibility with us with this thing. And you know, I, I, I don't know, I'd like to believe that that some of this comes from our own shared history at at Sun, where one of the I think the real strengths of Sun was the way that Sun viewed its its supplier relations and then also its customer relationships and really valuing very deep relationships on both sides there. And we have lived um, where those those relationships are not necessarily valued, <laughs> and where where the, the uh, suppliers are constantly being pitted against one another, and uh, and it's not good. So th this is kind of our disposition for kind of how we build this thing. Is really looking for the right folks. And our intro to to Samtech um, was Arian. I, I I think it was when we were. Uh, really starting to, to to figure out what the switch was going to look like. This is in like the summer of 2020, fall of 2020. And uh, we this is the how hard can it be switch, which we are learning is like, damn it, this thing is really hard. And somewhere along the line, Arian, you were beginning to look at how we do act, that SI from the actual switching silicon. We decided on Tofino at that point. But the actual signal integrity from the switching silicon to the 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 actual QSFPs was actually going to be a real challenge. Am I remembering that correctly? That that's kind of the where we kind of start on this journey. Yeah. So with the 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 thing I was trying to figure out was how do we how do we push the ASIC as far back in the chassis as we can so that we get it as close to the the sort of the back so that the, the cables in the back can be as short as we can make them. Um, while still having fans on the back of the chassis. So the board needs to be at a certain height in the chassis. 
Um, and then you'll have these queues of P ports in the front. And I was like, how are we going to resolve that? Because that is going to be an enormous slab of PCB that sits in this chassis if you do that all PCB. And so uh, the the idea formed to, uh, or rather I started looking at what, what sort of solutions are available. And I stumbled upon the uh, the flyover cable system that Semtech has developed, which is a, a set of connectors and then twin X cabling that goes from a QSFP interface, or it can be like several different connectors and interfaces, to uh, a, to a connector uh, using cabling, and then you can you can suddenly go a a little bit further because you uh, like cabling has these types of twin X cables have far less uh, loss, much better performance than a PCB has. Um, but more importantly, I could place uh, I could basically split the board into two, and I could place one board at a particularly a particular height in the chassis that was accommodating for the fans, and then the other board could be exactly in the center of the chassis, and then we could have QSFP ports on both sides of the board, so you can make them belly-to-belly, -belly, as it's called. And then you would use these flyover cables to then fly back to the main board and land near the ASIC and then connect the two. Um, so that's where we start. And so that was a solution that Semtech had developed, was ready-made, like visible on their, on their website. So... Um, we reached out and started talking uh, at, with that as a starting point, and then uh, things uh, went and, from there. Okay, so Orion, had you heard of Samtech before kind of discovering this? Um, I, I, I certainly had not. Like, my introduction to Samtech. Yes, yes, I have, because, uh, um, uh, because of the uh, sort of quintessential SWD connector, that's a very prominent Samtech part. So I, right. I'd heard of them before, and I'd seen some of their higher end cable systems out of sort of curiosity in the past, but never had a reason to design with it because, you know, I never had anything that would go that fast uh, until then. And so you, so you discovered this kind of this flyover design. And I just remember you sending me like a pointer to this video. And I was like, really? It's like, oh, man, this is great. What a great idea. And obviously, well, there was a picture on the website. And it turned out yeah. later that we learned that it was Jignesh work. There's a picture right. on the website that splits a switch into two pieces with flyover cabling from the front to with the ASIC more located in the back uh, for cooling purposes. And we, we wanted to do that both for cooling purposes and to keep the back the backside backplane shorter. Uh, and so it was like, oh, hey, this, this, this is clearly an idea that someone has, uh, has tried because if it is on their website, it must work. Um, that that may have been a leap of faith. I don't know, but you know, it turns out it does work. Uh, but yeah, that that's how we got started. And so then you reached out to Samtech, and the and again, this is not a the company that I we're obviously talking to a lot of folks, and I just didn't really have any exposure to them. But then something like very different happened, namely, I, and I don't know if you, if it was Nate or whoever you got a hold of at Samtech, but the Samtech told you like we're going to ship a cable to you like today. And the I, all I remember is that the next day you're like they sent me this cable like I've, I've got it like they sent it to my house like I'm uh, holding it yeah in my I, hand. I don't know if it was quite the next day but it was oh, it pretty like fast it. it was pretty it fast. was it was, well can suffice it to say like we were having a hard time like getting like and it, everyone else we're talking with we are it's like getting bogged down with NDAs and all this other crap and all of a sudden you actually have a company that's like oh hey yeah you want to build this like crazy thing like let's just send you some samples. And you're like, are you, I, 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 did I like pass out? Is this actually happening? Are you an apparition? Are you a friendly ghost? 
<laughs> and they, they are they are known for sudden samples, right? They are, and so and Jignesh and Jonathan. So uh, maybe this is a good time to, to to get you involved here because obviously this is something that we learned is not an accident, uh, and this is something that is a very kind of a deliberate approach that Samtech has to really support engineers. And boy, does it pay off because you generate some real fans. I actually got a photo that I'm going to drop in the chat. I know, Adam, you love having uh, annotating podcasts with photos. I know it's your favorite oh, thing. Best, yeah. And th so I've got a photo of Aryan. This is like one of the great things about the pandemic is it made it kind of easy to take just like screenshots of meets. And this is like Aryan showing me this cable. And it just like this thing is like, I've got it in my hands now. And like, this is what it would look like. And it was really, really exciting and energizing. So, Jigesh, I mean, it, it, this is not an accident, right? This is this is the you kind of take a very deliberate approach to kind of engineer getting engineers samples in hand. Um, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, thank you for having uh, uh, Jonathan and me on the podcast. Really appreciate that. Uh, so yes, so Samtex is a very unique company. Uh, we we don't go after just the Me Too products. We want to go after unique products that solve a customer's problems. And in order to solve customers' problems, first of all, you have to get customers to understand their problems and get them the parts that they need. So that's the philosophy. And you know, you talked about sudden service or sudden samples. That's how the company got started, uh, where you know, even for the low low speed and power connectors and all these, they used to send it just overnight uh, to customers, and we still do that as free samples. But over the years, as our products became, you know, on, on the higher speed side or even, you know, very low, small profile power connectors and things like that. The service has gone beyond just sending samples to also providing complementary services and signal, signal integrity for the full channel uh, for the customers or doing cable management mock-ups for the customers uh, or doing first order thermal analysis of fluid flow analysis for the customers. So we've taken that service, sudden service, to the next level now because we understand that in order for customers to use products that we make, which are not me too, they're unique kind of products in the industry, there's a certain learning curve that the customers will have to go through. And who better than us to help them because we have quite a bit of experience because of all the, uh, we work with a huge variety of customers in different industries. Before we dig yeah. deeper, I want to stress that for anyone on, on listening who thinks, well, it's a cable, how difficult can this be? <laughs> Let me absolutely yeah. stress that, that a cable, anytime you add a cable to a system, you now added a, think of it as a third, uh, the complexity of a third printed circuit board or, or, or beyond that in terms of complexity. Mm -hmm. Cables are incredibly complex because cables cost all sorts of effects that you have to account for in terms of signal integrity, power integrity, you have to think about uh, your your emissions and because signals are going to leave your board and they're going to go to some other system or another board. And then you you have to take, take care of that signal that, that rides on this cable. I've now been privy to the design of two cable systems and it is absolutely some of the hardest things you can do. So when Jignesh talks about providing services like signal integrity and channel modeling and even uh, um, some fluid dynamics and things about around he uh, like temperature and heating and all that, that's absolutely necessary and it is very much appreciated when, when this is done. 
by someone who actually understands what they're doing because it is it can make or break your system and when it when it when it breaks your system it it you're done like you you're it, it's costly to fix that and get it in a working state yeah one yeah sorry just one way i like to and arjun you talked about earlier but you know in in traditional systems you know the the conventional way of making designs was on the printed circuit board and what the way i think is it's you're designing in flat land a pcb is just 2d space maybe you have a mezzanine board but basically you're designing in flat land what cables allow what and as you mentioned it allows you to design in 3d space and all the boards don't have to be at the same level you can make it modular you know your uh, and you can even rotate the boards 90 degrees if your architecture allows it uh, so the, they don't have to be in the same even uh, plane or direction and and for that to happen to take the advantage of that uh, traditional conventional architectures used to be where the electrical engineer electrical designer was the chief architect and all the mechanical guys and the manufacturing guys just had to adapt after that i think as the data rates go up the electrical architect the mechanical the thermal the manufacturing architect all need to sit together and they need to compromise together you know for a system to be successful Um, just like yours. Yeah, that's really interesting. In yeah, that is like definitely that, true. Yeah. And we've yeah. been, we've, it has been a balancing act between making it work, just getting a cable system to work with 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 low enough loss so that you have have enough signal left over on the other side to use it and recover it and actually drive the link. But then, how to fit that in your chassis and how that runs and how it is manufactured because. and we'll I'm sure we'll touch it on this in this conversation or and and we touched on it with Doug manufacturing a cable system of of complexity like this uh is its own whole different thing like how, like you could you can have this, all these mockups and I can have all these pinouts and spreadsheets and what these what these spreadsheets don't really convey is that because you're only taking like a, a small slice of a pinout out of that backplane but that's that's thousands of signals uh that all have that all land on these connectors so you're you're looking at tens of connectors hundreds of connectors sometimes and then you, you know it 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 it's it's quite the 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 juggling act to it's a high wire act to make it all fit uh ultimately and then make it manufacturable and repeatable and well that's it and i think it's it is really helpful then it's just thing in terms of samtex general approach to really be walking with you through all of the, the the kind of these phases and kind of exploring these various trade-offs and not being kind of left to to uh merely do it on your own which has been I mean it's been huge for us and Jenna that was very funny because when you came out to oxide and saw the the switch and saw what we done with the flyover cables you're like, god we, I just you know you were telling us you just like love this design we're like well it's honestly like we're just doing what you uh, this is your guidance basically Samtex guidance And we kind of assume that built, every you just build what was on the website. We just build on the website, <laughs> and we just like assume that like isn't everybody doing it this way? And you're like, no, no, no one else is doing it this way. We tell everybody to do it this way. This is the right way to do it. But no, 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 this is not a. Um, so yeah, I guess we 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 just felt it was a it was a great idea. It's obviously a great idea. Everyone should do it this way. <laughs> we preach the the concept and the philosophy all the time, obviously, and. You know, some people get it, and some people say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's nice," but we're going to go back to doing it the way we've been doing it. Uh, but there's, you know, obviously, you guys saw the benefits. You can put 
play you can put things on your boards you can split boards different levels um you don't have to like you guys have a full cable backplane so that is to not have a a a backplane pcb i mean that's a ton of design effort uh board spins i mean that's just incredible um savings just that one component in of itself not to mention everything else that we've already talked about but anyway we we talk we talk to people about this concept all the time and we've (laughs) had like you know we've had some customers that are building smaller chassis or smaller cabinets you know not full-size cabinets like you guys did so when we saw your cabinet is full size all the way up and down full rack size and it was you know completely cabled it was you know not not just the cabled backplane but the all the sleds were cabled and it's just like oh my gosh they did it <laughs> well and, and truthfully we had an unfair advantage and adam i remember you and i talked about this very early on in oxide's life that we knew that we were going to have an unfair advantage just by taking a clean sheet of paper and i don't i can't remember if we talked about this explicitly or not but when Adam and I started a startup inside of Sun um, in 2008. We what, just by or 2006 when we started it. We just by by taking a, a clean sheet of paper, we were actually able to deploy Flash more or less earlier than any other enterprise storage unit, just because we were walking up to it with a clean sheet of paper at the right time, effectively. And Adam, I can't remember if we talked about it or not explicitly, but I remember thinking like there's going to be some equivalent to that where we are just going to have the benefit of having the clean sheet of paper at the right moment. And everybody knows that like, Hey, there's this way to do it over there. That is the better way to do it, but no one has a clean sheet of paper right now. No, that's exactly right. And this is a perfect analogy for, you know, flash in 2008 was just changing and we were at the right place at the right time. And this is a similar example. And actually we've bumped into a bunch of other ones. We're just not having to pull along this long chain of legacy. Just let us do a lot less actually. Uh, totally. And being able to do, I mean, Arian, you've been able to do exactly what Jignesh described of, of actually being able to innovate with respect to, to the, the switch. The switch is actually not one board, it's two. You've got this QSFP IO board that is then actually separated by an air gap effectively um, with these flyover cables. And the distance actually to the QSFP board doesn't hugely matter, right? We, I mean, we could, because once you're on the, the kind of the cable superhighway, um, it, it, it's the loss is all going to be at the yeah, it's, it's all pretty pretty minimal in in ter- like it doesn't matter whether you're gonna well yeah like over those distances it doesn't matter like it, it starts to add up when you go you know three four feet um, but in this case we're going I don't know twenty some inches so it's not so bad um, <clears throat> but but so what's interesting though is that we started this because I saw that picture and I was like oh so Jignesh pitched it because of I think the main draw was a, like a thermal, uh, oh, so thermal, yeah, thermal yeah, properties yeah. because yeah. in a traditional switch, you have these QSFP interfaces that sit in the front and then you need to put your ASIC like right there next to them because you want to keep those PCB traces as short as you can in order to, to stay within the loss parameters. And this is a real thing, you know, 100 gig, 28 gig NRZ, it's, 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 it's a, you know, you don't have much, but then when you go to 56 gig PAM4 for, you know, 200 gig links and 400 gig links and beyond, the PCB is just eating so much of your budget. It, 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 you have to be super close. But the problem is that all of these QSFP interfaces, all these, these uh, transceivers, all have a, a pretty significant heat load. They're, you know, they started like three, four watts, and they, some of them run up to like six, seven, eight watts. Um, 
and but you have to design for up to 10 so you have to accommodate potential like long range modules that can go all the way to like 9 or 10 watts um, and so if you have this 300, 400, 500 watt ASIC that sits right behind a load of QCFP interfaces that is also, you know, 100, 200, 300 watts of power, you have a very large amount of heat like in, its, in a super small space. So the, 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 the thing they gave us was like, oh, you can put this, the ASIC much further in the back so it's closer to your fan so it's easier to uh, evacuate the hot air that your ASIC produces. And I was like, well, that's, that's a really nice feature, but I was more interested in keeping the, the signal path to the backlane short. Um, but the thing that fell out of this was that because we, we now cut the board into two pieces, we actually defined an interface between these two boards. And these two boards were actually designed sequentially. They weren't even designed so much in tandem. I designed the interface alongside sort of the, the first board, and I had a pretty reasonable idea what I wanted to do between these two boards. So there's flyover cabling for uh, the high-speed interfaces back to the ASIC, and then there's a there's a bunch of low-speed signaling between the two boards to manage the the power on that on that front I/O board. Uh, and there's a little a couple other components like LED drivers, and there's a there's another five or copper ports on the front. And so there's there's a little, there's some management inter like pieces that are that are there. Um, but what it let us do is it basically let us design focus on the main board and, and get yep. that interface done. And then once the main board was already un, uh, fabbed out, so that was already in production, the PCB was on its way and assembly was on its way. That's when I, I turned around and then we built the QSFP board that would attach to it. And, the Q, and we, we already started bring up of the main board. Uh, we started that in January and I don't think we've had to had the QSFP board in hand until February or early March. But that was fine because we had plenty of work to do on that main board. So we could sequence these things into uh, in, in a pace that sort of made sense for us um, without having to design all of it up front. Because if we had to, if we would have had to design all the QSFP pieces oh my God. Yeah, in that main board, we would have had to push the main board would have taken another month or so to get done because the QSFP board was actually like quite like far more complex <laughs> than I thought. Well, because totally because there's Definitely, like you don't cycle. It's like, well, because if you were like, how hard can that be? And you're like, oh Jesus Christ! Oh yeah, but it's still that's still two and a half thousand components on a PCB, and it's 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 a really thick PCB because it's a of, monster. because that you have to like monster. mount these things belly to belly. But there's because you want all these interfaces, all these ports. You want power control over them, and you want fault protection. So if if your your QSFP module shorts, you don't want that to take out you know four other modules associated like next to it. So because of uh, because of a power like irregularity or whatever, so each of these ports has a power uh, has a little um, e fuse that we can we can use to, a measure power but also to control power. We can we can turn it on off and it and it makes sure that if a module faults, it immediately shuts the module down without rippling through all the other modules in the system. So there's that which which adds all the stuff. There's all these ESD protection diodes that we need to put on there for for various like for for because it's. These are exposed interfaces on the front, so you need all this protection. Um, so yeah, that would have added easily, like it took us a month or so, month and a half to get that design all done, like all buttoned up before it was all done, said and done. And so and the flyover cables were just huge to allow that to kind of be. Yeah, because you can you can separated. cleanly cut that off. You can cut the interface between these two boards, and then you can you can sort of delay the. Um, you can you we were able to push the QSFP board out, but now the the kicker is that we designed the QSFP so the flyover the pinout in the flyover cables we designed such that we can actually respin this QSFP board in a different configuration. So today we easily support 
32 ports on the front, 32 uh, 200 gig ports, but we can reconfigure this board with actually very minimal effort into 16 400 gig ports. And then we can use the same connectors on the main board to then fly these 400 gig ports to the main board and make those work without having to redesign the main board at all. That same interface would work. Um, it, uh, it's, we, right. basically, we basically would do half the half the QSFP board, and but then with the QSFP DD interfaces so that we can accommodate QSFP DD modules. Or if there's another standard that comes out at some point, we can we can do a different form factor altogether. Um, I have this idea of maybe at some point we'll build a QSFP board that has a GPS receiver on it so that you can do very precise timing for right, 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 yeah. So not be, all yeah. not all switches in your network need to have that, but you want to have a couple that might have that, you know, a couple per data center. And so we can have a special flavor of the QSFP board that has a GPS module built in so that you can connect an antenna to it and you can run GPS and you can have a, an accurate time source in your network. Um, and so all these different variations of that board we can build without having to redo the main board. So it, be, oh. it, it becomes a compartmentalized problem and will allow us to build several different variations of a switch chassis uh, with relatively minimal and, and, and relatively low risk um, engineering effort. And so we were hugely sold on the flyover cables. That was going really well. And then we were initially we and I, you know I, I hopefully I'm in a safe space where I can confess this. We were not actually considering Samtech. I mean Samtech for us was kind of like all right, we're going to use them for the flyover cables, but we're going to look for uh, another vendor for the cable backplane. And but as That's we because were, we were already in progress with that other vendor. We were already in progress with that other vendor. Who was, and to be clear, um, we were trying to get them from being a vendor to being a partner, but they. We couldn't Not get really them working. There. Yeah, we couldn't <laughs> get them there. But uh, I heard, I heard that then Jonathan happened. Is that Jonathan true? happened? Yes. I mean, so the, the the problem was that we we were we were I was trying to get drawings for these backplane cables using XMX connectors, and um, and we were promised drawings, and the, you know the date passed, and there were no drawings, and then we were tried again, and we would, they would be there next week, and next and the week after. Uh, to the point where uh, we, and so out of the, out of some, like, well, there was some reluctance for me to get started to, because I had already figured out like, oh, you are a second source of these these XMX connectors, so we might be able to make this work. Um, now, there's a big difference between there is a difference between what is advertised in the in the catalog because the catalog of of, of connector and cable manufacturers is vast. But what is actually tooled up is a different story. So there's always <laughs> yeah. going to be change. You yeah. may not have the right. exact totally. same thing, but let's let's like, you know. Fortunately, you did. Um, but I was initially a little bit reluctant to to immediately jump ship because I did. I, I th that was a big gamble. I felt and and um, I didn't want to pit necessarily two companies against each other because also that would have been uh, splitting my attention and I did not have much time to go and because I was spending an awful amount of time, I was spending a lot of time with the other company trying to get this to work. And so I was, I was worried that I might have to spend, you know, similar amounts of time to get this other, to get it to work with you. And I was not really in favor of that. So I was actually, I was actually the one who had to be like pushed and pulled, kicking and screaming a little bit because I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to do that immediately. But then, yes, we started talking. Then Jonathan happened, um, <laughs> and we actually you managed to lap, even though you you started probably six or eight weeks behind. Managed to get the drawings in hand before the other. 
partner vendor managed to do that. Um, and at that point, you have to tell them, like, we, you just, you're just late. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you're, you're just late. We, like... I, I remember some of those initial conversations, and they were, they were very interesting to me because I was actually surprised that the other company was, was kind of being slow or slower than what you were hoping they would be. Uh, uh-huh. We actually have a good we actually have a good relationship with them, uh, so I, I'm not going to talk bad about them. Um, but Samtex does try to do obviously sudden service is something that we try to provide, and I could tell that you guys were frustrated, and um, you know it was from the very first call. You know, you kind of made it clear that you you're you were kind of behind schedule from where you wanted to be, yeah. and so I just I just wanted to take that as an opportunity to run with it and, and get stuff to you as fast as I could. So, well, the problem was I, I, I like, I, again, I don't, I also don't want to speak ill of them, but the, the, the problem was that there were just too many people involved in the process. And what I, what has been incredibly helpful working with you and Samtech in general is that there's a very small number of people that we work with and you bring in additional individuals when needed. And that, that really, helps in terms of getting these things done because yeah it means means that there's just not a lot of overhead in 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 the way that things need to be communicated well you know my mom has an adage that i'm I'm sure is is the time memorial that nobody cares about your money like you do Uh, i think she was telling me this shortly after she just lost a bunch of money to a financial analyst who had who uh and you know i've I've always taken that to heart um and the, the the part of the problem that we were having Part of the frustration is, is like we just were not getting someone on the other side to treat this like their system. It was our system, and they were kind of it was just they felt very reluctant to actually. And Jonathan, when you kind of jumped in, you treated it like a system we were building together, and that was really really important. Just like that level of of attention to detail and empathy and let's go kind of figure this stuff out. And that's, I mean, you started out, uh, yeah, it was like eight weeks behind or more on something that was really time critical for us. And, you know, within no time had basically passed and was in much better shape. And we were in a, in, in a position to really be like, I mean, it was, it was a no brainer ultimately. Um, and the, a no brainer because the, it, just the degree to which you cared about, our problems being shared with the two of us that like, we are going to take responsibility for building this system together. And I just can't tell you how much, how meaningful that is. I mean, that, that especially when you're, when you're us doing things that are a little bit, a uh, little bit, a little bit odd, uh, you know, the, thank you for the kind words. Let me know the address where I can send you a gift certificate for saying such good things. It, uh, yeah, exactly. That's right. If you could just make out the cash, please. Um, the, no, no, no. But the, the, and actually, honestly, the, the thing that is, is so interesting to me is when we look around the industry and as we were kind of adding folks to the company that had been, in, you know, that, with a lot of experience, like they came in with very strong relationships because you have helped them. Samtech, the larger Samtech has helped them in past gigs. I mean, RFK, Robert Keith really wanted to be here today. And he is, as you know, is a is a huge Samtech fan. Uh, the only reason he's actually at a graduation like right now, and he, even then he was like, so I, I made this at the worst possible time. Sorry, RFK, you're going to catch the recording. Um, 
even then he was like, well, let's see, when's the graduation start? I and mean, this is like, there is a, a non-zero <laughs> chance that RFK is at a, is literally they are, they've got like pomp and circumstance and he's on his airbuds right now trying to unmute himself to contribute to this conversation because That's that, right. and that is not like a normal feeling for engineers to have about, but it's, it, it really shows the partnership. And I also love, by the way, that we had, you have now like set the bar for our expectation. And we had, uh, well, let's just say a DRAM vendor that was trying to impress Oxide by coming by bringing gifts. The problem is the gifts they brought were alcohol. And we're like, we don't want any of this. RK is like, I want samples. That's it. Like take, I don't know. Freaking <laughs> booze. Like, I, I don't know. Go take that home or something. What yeah, I want is samples. To build. Give me samples. Give me, da- give me, give me technical samples. data. I mean, we need to get this done. <laughs> then well, we can do it. You know, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Contraption. So what I, what I wanted to say though, is we've really enjoyed working with you guys. You guys are a very good partner for us as well. And, you know, for all the folks listening, I think that it's important to understand that Oxide does a good job and how they do a good job for us. You know, they're buying cables from us, but they didn't just say, hey, we want this cable. Here's a signal map. Give us this length. Give it to us. Go, go, go. You know, it was an open discussion. There was a lot of talk about, hey, what's the optimized signal map for how you make, how do you make these cables in your production facility? You know, is there an optimized way that you, would lay out the cables from a signal map standpoint. We, we, cause we're early enough in our design process that we can accommodate that. And then we talked about cable links and sleeving, how things go together. Um, and, totally. list, about, and, and just about, really listen to, you know, what we had to say about how we were making the cables and accommodated that on the design side in your system. And that's really, you know, that helps facilitate a lot of, with your vendors like this yeah could you elaborate specifically on good bends versus bad bends because i think this is a very concrete example of what you're talking about about like not all bends in cables are the same yeah certainly we i know we've talked about it a little bit before you guys have talked a little bit about it before with with doug specifically when he came on from benchmark but the the twin x cable itself is you know you can picture it it's two center two solid center conductors and that's surrounded by a dielectric. And so in essence, if you're going to bend that, that twin X cable, a good bend would be if you can picture um, both of those center conductors bending at the same time with the same bend radius. Uh, a bad bend would be, you know, one of those being on the inside and then the other one coming over top of it with a larger bend radius. Because that, in that case, the bend is putting, uh, is pulling and pushing on those center conductors relative to each other. Because one of those radius is, is smaller than the other. Um, and is so that a we mechanical call issue? We call that a, we call that a. It's both. Okay. So yeah. What can happen is it will it will push and pull on the center conductors um, a little bit, which will put stress on the cable endpoints, whatever it's connected to. And then from a signal integrity standpoint, yes, it's also potentially bad because now your signal paths may have different lengths and especially relative to each other. And with a differential pairs, you know, you know, it's all about optimizing and keeping those channel links as close to being exactly the same as you can possibly get. Yeah, you're going to get a little bit of a PNN skew, which means that you're going to have some in- potential 
inner symbol interference because at those speeds and the lengths that stuff uh, sort of adds up. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, it's very, very small. And because of the construction and how we make our cable, it's, I'd say it's minimized, but, um, you know, just like Arian said, I mean, you're, you're getting to speeds where every little bitty thing is starting to count. So. Yeah. It's doing, it's doing, it's doing the little things that are setting you up for success as opposed to finding the needle in the haystack when something goes wrong. Totally. And you, I mean, one of the things I feel I've learned on this is like, you just want to be nowhere near your margin. I mean, you want to make sure you've given yourself lots and lots of margins, kind of like the visa bill, any little loss in signal is going to add up. And all of a sudden it lads up to a total loss of signal and you've got no, no way to kind of get that back. Uh, it's really hard to get it back. Yeah. So, Jonathan, do you want to elaborate? And we, I know we talked a bit of when we had Doug to, uh, from Benchmark uh, talking about cabling back when we talked about this uh, episode that we had uh, at Benchmark where we were we were getting some dropout rates in our cabling. And could you talk about that from the Samtech side? Because I was actually even, you know, being uh, loving our relationship and being super positive about Samtech. I was actually taken aback by just how quickly you all jumped in on that. So could you describe a little bit that problem from from Samtech's perspective and kind of your approach on that? So I think this is this the you're asking about the cable that where you were having signal integrity issues and Aryan and we were yeah, in, we, in, we in found, Oakland. We found these cables that had we had some damage in these cables where, like you said, because of stresses, the solder joints had cracked because of yeah. the way that we'd assembled the rack and we 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 didn't know yet how how to treat these cables properly to make sure that you you don't get that and so uh unfortunately i wasn't able to make it but you, you joined doug and and robert in, in at benchmark yeah, in minnesota yeah. to to think this <laughs> through and figure out how to do this better yeah i was i was out in the bay area um, oh man was that was that design con yeah that was yeah, a design was con design time con, yeah Yep. Yeah, and I was I was able to go out and visit some customers, and and um, Oxide was high on my list of of people that I wanted to come see, and it just so happened that you know I think leading up until that point, there was a couple a cable or two that was was you know showing signs of signal integrity issues, and so when I got there, um, you know I started talking about you know just like we were talking about this this bending cables in the right direction. Um, making sure other things like you have generous bend radii, um, you know, not putting wire ties on until the very end of the of the process so that you're not trying to connect a cable that's wire tied somewhere and you're pulling, mm. you know, you're pulling the end of it while the while it's wire tied tight somewhere else. Um, these types of things. And so I remember <laughs> I had been traveling for quite a bit and uh I was sitting there talking with the team and and in in Oakland and everybody's like, yeah, we got to get we got to get the benchmark and we need to, you know, just take a look at a whole unit and look at how it's wired up. And I'm like, yeah, I said we I agree 100 percent. You know, we got to go and we need to get in front of a rack and just take it apart. And we started talking, you know, spitballing different ideas. And um I remember Steve coming over and he's like, yeah, let's make it happen. He goes, let's do it next week. And I'm like, uh, man, next week, my wife's going to kill me. Uh, he says, all right, no, how about two weeks? We'll do it in two weeks. I'm like, my wife's still going to kill me, but okay. I'm like, I'm, 
if I'm not there, I'll get somebody to be there. And Steve just looks at me and goes, no, we really want you there. I was like, okay, I'll be there. <laughs> and of course, I think, got pushed, the I think it got, I think it got pushed out a week um, uh, from there. So I think it ended up being three or four weeks later, but, and so the timing worked out just, just fine. I didn't have any personal issues, but once we got up to benchmark, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, Jonathan, it is worth just a, a quick aside because you're based out of New Albany, right? I, I mean, Sam Tech is in New yeah. Albany. So yeah, and yeah, we're in, in Indiana. Indiana. Right, and our manufacturing facilities is in uh, – we're with Benchmark in Rochester, Minnesota, and Winona, Minnesota. And, you know, uh, one thing I've definitely appreciated is that the Big Ten engineering, we got a lot of Big Ten alums uh, <laughs> at, at Oxide, and there is a lot of – terrific capability in you know when people talk about kind of onshoring manufacturing i mean we we did we, we th that wasn't a kind of a a policy position for us that was much more of uh, us being pragmatic and finding real partners and those partners just happen to be onshore uh but in this case it was a really big one i mean if you know i, I think uh if you had to go on a you know a 12-hour trans-pacific flight um that probably would have been a lot less appealing to go to a manufacturing facility so no, but that was exactly the reason why we are doing onshore manufacturing because we just didn't want to spend all this time traveling back and forth between the u.s west coast the u.s east coast and and asia because it's just and, and, and really time-consuming to, to debug systems and debug yeah. your processes when you have yeah. nothing because we have nothing yet. So everything is being built from scratch, from, from our product to our processes, to our tools, to our manufacturing capability. All of that had to be stood up. And so when COVID hit, we, I, we did deliberately say we want to do this in the U.S. because it'll be just so much easier. <laughs> it'll be so much harder to travel to Taiwan or to China every time we need to do something. And, and again, Robert RFK spent so much time in China that... that, that he was like, I don't want to do this again. Like, it's yeah. it's, uh, and which I'm really glad we did because. Uh, oh, really glad we did. Oh my God, like, can you imagine? I, and I, I actually think that a little bit of a side thing that in our case, onshore like manufacturing in the U.S. is actually cheaper than doing it overseas because of because not losing all this time and not having to spend all this back and forth and traveling and 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 all the, like all, all of it basically to. To make this happen, uh, in, in, that has saved us time and money, and therefore I think it is a more efficient solution. Of whether that's still true in the long run, when you start shipping, you know, many more units, we'll see. But at least for now, it is very well. It is, that that works for us very well. Uh, Arjun, uh, it's so good for to hear that. I think uh, if it's a very labor heavy, anything that's extremely labor heavy, then of course you know. Uh, you want to be in the lowest uh, cost place as far as manual labor is concerned. But when you design things in, in a modular fashion where things can be reused, where the, where the whole assembly process is optimized from the where, when you start from scratch with a piece of paper, as Brian mentioned, I think you, things can be designed in a way where um, you could easily manufacture this very competitively in the U.S., especially in the Midwest. Well, totally. And you think, like, Nathaniel, I mean, how much time have you spent? I, I mean, obviously, okay, too much time in Rochester, yeah. but like that. No, we've had, I mean, we've had an engineering presence there almost continuous for the last six weeks. And like, you just probably couldn't pull that off overseas. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and like with a few of us who live in the Midwest, it's, you know, a few hours over there. So in an emergency, 
you know, it's, you know, you can get over there for a couple of days. And I mean, if you're going to spend a couple of days traveling, you know, to get somewhere else, it's not really an option to go for just a couple of days. Well, it is. So, yes, and and if you are at larger firms, like, for example, I was working on Oculus products before we had engineering presence in at the factory in China. But it meant that those were individuals we hired in China, were located in China. And still a significant portion of our team was traveling for every build to be present there. It was a huge like amount of extra uh like the overhead is the wrong word it's like it, it it puts a real strain on the team and for a team this size it's just not feasible so yeah anyway jonathan a long way of saying we were really appreciative in that moment of having that it was easy for you to to really get to the manufacturing facility and look to see okay let's sit down you know with production engineers and with our mechanical engineer with with doug with and and really kind of figure out like what what's going on here to figure out uh how is this damage occurring yeah absolutely yeah and i you know i didn't finish but we took the cables back that um were were uh suspect and basically tore them down looked at them and yeah the solder joint you could tell had been cracked um which is evidence of pushing and pulling on those center conductors and just overbending or um, putting too much stress on them somehow. Um, and cool. I mean, there's no real telltale sign, but other than just, oh, you know, too much handling, if you will, yeah, is what we had kind of come to. And so it, that was, you know, well, your reason that we thought it was so important to, to get up there and, and um, go through a system with you guys. In, in your latency from actually taking those damaged cables and actually getting them, I think you getting them imaged, like x-rayed them or not, but getting them imaged and, and, and inspecting them and discuss, I mean, how frustrating, I mean, for so many things that I've had, Adam, how many things have we had in our career that get sent back to a manufacturer only to be told that there's no fault found? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it gets so frustrating to hear over and over again, there's no fault found. So the, and it just feels like, is you actually like trying to find a fault in this thing? Or are you the, <laughs> and the, so for you all to not just, not only like actually, yes, find, find damage, but find it quickly. And I think this is like, it just goes to you, the disposition, like your disposition was not, how can we exonerate Samtech here? Which honestly feels like the disposition often in the industry is like, you've sent me this failing component. My job is to prove to you that this was not my fault. And it's like, uh, that's really not your job. job. It's like, we, we, us together, we have something that has failed and we need to understand why that has failed so that we together, and it's like, just a lot of people don't have that disposition. And you very much did in terms of like getting understanding where's this damage coming from? And then where could it be coming from? It's like, no, this is not like Samtech's fault. But it's like this thing is busted. How did it get there? And how can we help brainstorm different ways to handle this thing, manufacture it such that we don't break it? It's like that is so refreshing. It's a very refreshing disposition. Yeah, I think luckily the physics we use is the same as the physics you use and everybody else uses. You know, know, that's not always the case, though. I feel like I'm alternating in a different physical reality than a lot of these vendors. uh, So, yeah, thankfully, the same physics. For sure. Well, and, and I would say I was there on site when Jonathan was up and it was just really awesome to see uh, Jonathan and Doug and Eric and RFK, every, like everybody rolled up their sleeves and they're all, you know, elbows deep in the rack, pulling cables out and rebundling things and, you know, talking through how 
we might change the the way our design mechanicals are to facilitate you know these nicer bends and so it was just it really felt like a whole team kind of all standing there working together even though you know it's like three different companies three different companies yeah and that is in jonathan I'm, i mean i i'm not sure if this is par for the course for you or not but i think it's that's really special from our perspective when you when you're able to really have that kind of collaboration across a bunch of different folks who are outside of their own self-interest and really looking at like what is the how do we kind of build this thing and get it working together yeah i think it comes back to what you you know what you've said a couple times is we're we're building this thing together and you know it's we, we certainly have some customers that are just oh just you know give us the spec give us this you know just throw it over the wall to us but when when we have customers like oxide that take the time um want to fully understand want want and ask additional questions looking for that support we're going to give it to you um and you guys do the same thing with other vendors and you know even with your customers and we do it with our vendors so i think we're all of the same same mindset a hundred percent and you're exactly right that i mean we have very much that model with our own customers because it's very important that like you know like your your customers like oxide we're a technical customer and Oxide's customers are are technical, and uh, you know that we are building something together. And in our case, we are helping them to deliver a service to their customers, who are they are often in the walls of a company, sometimes outside the walls of the company. But ultimately, we are helping them deliver something, and we want to be sure that if if that if that's not working for them, that we have all the right people in the room together to figure out how do we fix this for you, how do we write this for you, and. Adam, just as I said at the top, I feel like that's something we really inherited from Sun. I do think that that is something that Sun got really right. Is we always felt empowered to do the right thing by our customers, and we I never felt like we had to justify doing the right thing by a customer. That's right, and and that's how we spent a bunch of our early careers with customers making things right, or or fixing things, or or making things right even when. Uh, just as in this case, it, you know, irrespective of where the the blame, as it were, lay, but how do we make them successful with our product, whether it's our bug or their bug? And you know, honestly, like we're so used to this that it was kind of foreign to me that any company wouldn't like. Why wouldn't you not do this, right? Obviously, this is the only way to do business, as far as I'm concerned. That you, of course, you're always invested in your customer success. And it was a little bit jarring. I got so I don't know. I don't get the same same disposition, but I think I think I got like so used to that that when I first kind of encountered companies in the wild that didn't have that disposition, it was like pretty shocking. And uh, I remember in particular we had a a, a company. I was dem- demonstrating Dtrace, which Jonathan Jignesh, This is a technology that Adam and I developed together to allow you to dynamically understand what a software system is doing um, to basically answer the question, like, why is the software system not performing? And uh, generally, this is very positively received because who wouldn't want to know what their software system is doing? But this particular customer received it very, very poorly. And in particular, they didn't want their customers to be able to run this on their software to understand how bad their software was. Um, So... The and I don't know if you were in this meeting or not. This meeting did not go well. I was not really braced for the a, a customer in particular. The customer was like, "You have to disable Dtrace on on my software. Like, I will not support my software on your platform until it cannot be instrumented with Dtrace," which was not I'm, something that I. I'm would. sure that was a good opening salvo. I'm sure you toned that down afterwards. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever had to be escorted out of a meeting by the sales folks who I, it just did not go well. It went really, really poorly, uh, in part because we had spent the first half of the meeting where they were trying to understand why their software is performing so badly on us. And it's because they were shipping debug, a debug binary with debug symbols. And it was when I ended the, but they told me like, sorry, like we can't rebuild it. We can't optimize it. And it was when they told me that they wouldn't certify D-Trace that I, volunteered that I was going to write a tool to allow their customers to extract their source code from the binary because it had all the stabs information. Like the source code was all in there. Yeah. Um, that, that sounds like the right time to escort you from the room. <laughs> yeah. You know. clearly learned, learned a little bit, but so to, <laughs> to do bring that back though, yes, right, like, right, I, don't th I think that a lot of, a lot of, um, companies don't necessarily do this on purpose. They, it's not that they don't want to help their customer. I think that, for some reason, in a lot of places, the people don't have the ability to do it because the either the information or the knowledge is spread so wide and so, but not in a positive way that it's it's difficult to actually find the people who can and bring them together to solve a problem. Let alone if you have to do this with three, two or three companies, um, and then there's a bunch of politics involved with all that, which makes it usually like adds another whole nother dimension to it. And so therefore, the only response that a company can then have is like, this is not our problem. This can't be our problem because, of course, we, we designed it properly. Because if it was not, like if there, was, if there is a problem, then they don't, they don't have the ability to, to figure out what is wrong and how to fix it, um, which is a pretty bad place to be in, obviously. But I, I don't, I, I'm willing for a lot of places to not have it be on purpose. I think this is just sort of like what happens. This comes back a little bit to the other cable manufacturer that we were trying to work with. It wasn't that they didn't want us to succeed in that sense. It's just that they were in their way of having too many people involved to even get a set of drawings out and to give us feedback on a pinout and on how this mechanically was going to fit. It wasn't they want. It was not that they didn't want it because they clearly wanted our business. I think, or at least I hope so. Um, but they just couldn't figure it out between all of them. Yeah, they totally. Yeah, and and then what's unique about Samtech in that case is you know, says Jonathan is actually the product manager for all backplane products. Right, and I'm I'm a technologist for multiple of the high-speed products. We don't only give internal direction on what the next generation architecture should look like, but we're also involved with customer issues on existing. Because if you understand the problems that you have on existing products, and we can't deal with all the customers, but you know at least leading customers, then we can design next generation better. And usually in the other companies, you don't. These it's not the same person doing both. And that's the and yeah, that's God, a amen. critical piece. Important point, yeah. You yeah. need to be you need to be subjected to your own decisions and the consequences yeah. of your own decisions. Yeah. Only then will you learn how to improve, like how to how to make your how to make your product better. Yes. Well, and this is something that I believe very very strongly in that you should take responsibility for your ideas all the way from that initial ideation all the way to actually running in production, and it is really important to do that. Because you then, I mean, I cannot underscore enough what you're saying in terms of like, you should not view it kind of pejoratively. Those things that are running in production, those systems have a lot to teach you about about your next generation designs. But you have to go yeah. listen to them. You have to like, and the other thing that the you know the 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 thing that I, I you hate to hear, but but happens way too frequently is 
folks being told that you're the only one seeing this problem. This is another thing that like that and it happens way too frequently in the industry that that you know you all never do because it's like it doesn't matter to somebody if they're the only one seeing the problem or not. It doesn't even matter if it's true. It's almost always false. But like it doesn't even matter if it's true. Like never tell somebody you're the only one seeing this problem. Because what you're effectively saying is that like the rest of the customer base has somehow <laughs> outvoted more you. Important. Yeah. More important. Right. Yeah. And it's like the, the it, and you know, there are other, if, if what you're trying to phrase is like, wow, this is really unusual. Like say that, <laughs> you know, or it's like, or I, you know, I need to understand like what is in this environment, what makes it, I need to understand why we're seeing this here. That's fine. But like when you're telling me, you know, you're the only one seeing this problem. It's like, oh God, it's so frustrating. And it just shows Jignesh how many, how few companies take your approach of actually having folks that are coming both from the design side, going all the way into the customer base and actually understanding this thing in the field. Yeah. And I feel like Adam, this is the, 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 the kind of is dovetailing into the, our, our cackle bladder episode. Which I can't even remember the better title of. I just remember that I was, I was able to use Crackle Bladder in casual conversation. That's all I remember. That we were talking about. I think this is the I know this. This is Unix episode where we talk about customer support and why and how important it is to actually be to to really walk with your customer with their problem. I think it was interesting. Like some of my very early conversations with Oxide, I had a couple like one on one calls with Aryan after I'd sent him some samples and I think they were just like mechanical samples that like even down to the component level. And I remember talking with Aryan, like, I don't know, I'm on East coast. He's on West coast. So I think it was like Friday at five o'clock and, and we're, he's asking me questions about all these just minute level detailed questions about the components, not just not like, like the overall cable assembly. It's, it's like down to the, the copper that we use. And I was just blown away because I, I think at one point I told him, and this is still true. I don't think I've had any other customer ask me the level of detailed questions that Aryan has asked me about our cables. Really? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't get involved at some of the Jignesh is like more of a technologist. If you heard him say that in his title. So he's, he gets involved in, like some of the super far out conversations. I'm I'm just a lonely old product manager. But still <laughs> I talk to I talk to customers all the time and I still have not had that level of detail. And I guess where I was going with that is that's just the level of you know, the the level of detail that Oxide goes into and I'm sure you do this and I know you do this with other vendors too. And that's helping out that partner relationship, kind of closing back up to that loop. Um, and, and that's just so important. Well, it has a very specific reason why I, why I asked those questions because, so I took all your samples and took them apart. I cut things open. I, I, I pried out those little, like little metal tabs that go in the side of the connectors and then took all the wafers out and looked at the wafers and scraped some of the wafers off and desoldered some pieces because one of the things I really don't want to have happen is us designing a cabled backplane and at some point a customer coming back and be like, hey, this, we don't trust this cabled backplane because we see failures. Or we've had some of these conversations already with some of our customers or prospective customers. And the first thing they, they hear when they hear we're doing a cabled backplane, they have in mind 
these connectors with straight pins and they think about bent pins and how one one unit goes from one slot into the next and you know as a virus goes through your rack and you bend out you bend everything your cables your connectors your chassis like all, all of it is at some point broken and so i really want to make sure that i understand how this thing mechanic works mechanically electrically so that we make these decisions appropriately and that i can ultimately stand behind this design because i don't I just don't want to be called out of bed at three in the morning because these cable systems have failed. <laughs> I've done enough pager duty at this point, and so I don't want you to either because you'll probably call me. No, no, but it, it has been really helpful because, because for example, there, there there is there was a particular engineer or a particular person at a particular prospective customer we're talking with, and this person kept on pushing back on his cabled backplane, and I made a short presentation for specifically for him. Explaining how these how how the XMX connectors work and how you have these counter like these counter opposing fingers that then that 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 insert and that basically get pushed away from each other and that's how you get tension between them and that it, it is very difficult to if used appropriately to get these connectors to be bent or these fingers to be bent and cause problems in other connectors that like where they are made it you may not have a connection when these things. If you bend these fingers far enough, then sure, your connection will work, but it won't damage other connectors that you're inserting these into. And so being able to explain that and being able to, I took these things apart. I've, I've, I've looked at this. This is how it works. And then we worked with Doug to make sure that our mechanical solution has enough float in all the directions so that, you know, when these things mate, that they made appropriately, not, not too fast, not, and that, that we, they made far enough, all that, all that good stuff. Because I, wanted, I just wanted to make sure that we... We really dotted our I's and crossed our T's here because it, it, we're, we're, we're betting the farm on this. Um, yep. There's no going back at this point. We can't. And, and you, were talking, you were talking about a backplane out of made out of PCB material. Yeah. We just can't. There's not enough signal integrity. Like, there's not enough uh, uh, insertion loss budget yeah, to do, do this it. out of a PCB. Yeah. It is, it is going to be this or bust. Yeah, I think now you're hooked, right? As in once you design with cable, you're never going back. So it's... Well, actually, now I want the next thing. I want I want a fiber optic link because then I because I, I can't push I can't push copper much further than what we're going today. Uh, um, I I will disagree with you on that, and we can talk about it some other time. But yes. uh, I, yeah, uh, copper. Every time people say copper has every at every data rate, people say that's the end of copper. Now it's uh, optics and so copper. Let, let me let me put the asterisk here. Unless we can move the connector closer or even onto the package of the ASIC itself. If you can do that, then suddenly we have 7 ADB extra extra loss budget. And yeah, yeah, then we can push copper again further, higher and, later. And, and, and Samtech already has one that we we got our first engine samples now, where <laughs> the density of that connector is better than even any silicon photonics engine that is available in the market. So just to give you a perspective, it's it is sixty-four differential pairs. So think of it as thirty-two TX and thirty-two yeah. R yep. in half inch by half inch footprint. So can you elaborate on that a little bit, Jignesh? Because I think this is something is a question that we do get from time to time. People are like, well, isn't aren't optics the right way to do this? Right? Actually, like not it's certainly not right now. It's it, it's copper. And I think that that you're uh, saying that like people really underestimate copper, and that you know everyone says that kind of copper is going to disappear, but actually, I could could you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, why is copper still like the the, the right way to build these kinds of systems? 
Okay, uh, I think it's good to look at not just from the signal integrity point of view, but just overall system and your customer point of view and your and our, our customer and your customer point of view. If you have a switch, uh, what the current front panel, uh, you know, like QSFPs and DDs and OSFPs allow is for you to ship a switch without optics in it, for example, or for people to without optics, and then the customers can put whatever optics they want in it. So right. customers will always prefer to have front panel optics if possible. That is one. Yep. The, se the second one is what Aryan talked about earlier with the current things where you don't want to keep your temperature sensitive optics very close to a high uh, powered heater, AKA the chip. Uh, so if you can separate the two, the life of the and the reliability of the optics is significantly higher. There is uh, an erroneous law which says, you know, as the temperature increases by 10 degrees Celsius, the laser's reliability decreases by 2x. So yeah, you want to keep right. you want to keep the optics as low temperature. So there is a there there are there are reasons why you want to stay uh, keep optics away from the chip, right? And yeah. and so and copper is just a dumb passive. Uh, copper cables just dumb passive. They 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 can withstand the same temperature if not higher than what the silicon can. And so if you can do that, uh, uh, I think people will always will try to. If if there's some technology that allows you to do that, to still have front panel optics, they will still go for that. So so there's yeah, that there's that. Then the other part, the big part for me is power consumption because the reason yeah. you don't do optics is because. Your chip inherently has copper signals coming out of it because that's like there's 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 wire there there's bumps under your under your like if you go like all like the die itself has pads there's bumps on those pads you go onto a package whatever um, that is copper by definition and the, the so if you go to an optical engine that is off chip or even on package but still off die. Now you you're spending you're spending power to go from one interface through a little bit of substrate or whatever that is right. into an optical engine and then optical that optical conversion process obviously costs power and then you you go out so uh, so that that is ex that that usually that because that will lose against any if you have a passive copper solution then yes that will always be more power efficient because that you don't do that conversion now. That might change a little bit once you start talking about these integrated photonics that go on the chiplet <laughs> on the package. I, I, I've got Adam. I have silicon photonics on my bingo card. I assume you do as well. I, I'm not sure. Do you <laughs> yeah, have bingo? Bingo for me, for sure. Okay, yeah, exactly. So this, yeah, this is where you would integrate the photonics into an actual chip piece that then goes into your onto the same package as your ASIC, and now. Some of these 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 equations change a little bit because you can use the lower the lower power interfaces between the two chiplets. So you're you're talking now stuff like what you see AMD do with their chiplet designs for their CPUs and their GPUs. And um, I, I I don't know whether that changes enough because you could now potentially shave off the sturdies and not not do this conversion twice. And now you you could you could do it in sort of one step. Um, and so I don't know. So at some point there is an there is a crossover point where that starts to make sense. But then we we would have to start thinking about how to blind mate optical links, which is you know I think doable. Just it's all yep. uh, sweat and tears to get it done and money. Right. But the, but the PowerPoint is also a really good one because it's like and I, I know this is a, a concern that Eric had when we were going to compliance that we are 
not going to have thermal monitoring on those QSFP ports and they're going to burn the thing down. And you look at like the potential power consumption of those things is really high. So this is actually, I mean, you know, as you said, Ariane, at the top, we got, you know, potentially like 300 watts out there in, in ports. So uh, it, it's, um, it's a good point about that lasers are actually, as it turns out, uh, pretty power hungry. Um, and there's, there's a real power argument to be made once you're, you're already in copper. So staying in copper, if you possibly can, is going to have a bunch of wins um, in terms of thermally and mechanically and so on. Yep, and I, to your point, right, if you can convert directly from the package itself, that saves a lot of loss. And the other is, can the, can the copper cable, the twin axe itself, be made lower loss? And the answer is yes. Our next generation cable, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan talked about that it has a dielectric around the two copper conductors. It's a solid dielectric right now. Mm-hmm. And and so what we are working, what we're calling it twin axe air, but basically what we're doing is we are putting air uh, voids in that solid uh, dielectric so that the net dielectric is significantly lower. So the loss in this cables will be around 20% lower than the current cables. Wow. So as you, as you go to the next data rate of 224 gig, uh, that's where uh, the next generation cables will start becoming uh, so, so we're basically trying to recreate the the ideal physical model that we're all being taught in school or that you're being yeah. taught in school and then yes or like suspend two copper conductors in absolute like space in, in right. like, like right. a low low temperature yeah. low, low temperature vacuum uh speed That's of light right. sort of deal. <laughs> yes yeah uh, nice we only totally have that frictionless surface yes yeah, and so we have uh, like uh, our first engineering samples of those type of cables already available. Uh, and just very on brand. It's like the and and actually, if everyone looks under their chair right now, you will see the sample has already left a sample for you. <laughs> you get a sample, and you get a sample. <laughs> this is um, the of entry of you the, the, that is honestly amazing that there's another 20%. I mean, that's a huge difference yeah. in, uh, in, you know, kind of a, you, again, Arian, you made this point earlier, but like, you know, cabling, like how complicated can it be? It's like actually really cab- really no, complicated and really, really, really important. Yeah. And really important because it's like, boy, you think of that, that 20% loss that has a 20% improvement in loss has got ramifications for, power it's got ramifications for si it's got all these ramifications up and down the system um because the 20 percent is 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 combined with because every generation of these systems the receivers get better meaning the receivers turn more and more into radios meaning they're bigger because you need more silicon to more uh, and you're actually using analog circuitry a lot to make these receivers more more sensitive um Meaning you're spending more and more of your silicon area to to do this. So this this is another reason why chiplets at some point become such an interesting thing is because these analog fronts that you want in these thirties have very different uh, 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 silicon properties than your digital logic, which is like super small, and you want the latest node. But for your analog circuitry, that doesn't really work that all that well. So there's a different trade-off that you need to make. So at some point, cutting these in different pieces and making them fabbing this on different different nodes in order to basically get the best out of each of these interfaces it, it will become important.
but as these interfaces become as these receivers become better you, you know another if you if you can eke out another 20% on the interf- on the receiver or 25% uh then all these things stack up and that 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 does mean that you can suddenly do these higher data rates at these longer lengths of cable that we want to run them at because our 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 channel our total channel length is 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 the the cable is about uh, about six feet, set six, seven, ah, six feet. Um, that's the longest channel that we have, and we play some games with making sure that the longest cables are paired with the shortest traces on the printed circuit board, so that we borrow basically some margin out of the printed circuit board and put it back in the cable. And likewise, so, so uh, yeah, all the, these are all games that we play in order to make that work. And so, but yes, I'm. Uh, a little bit hesitant to start thinking about 112 gig link uh, because that that's uh... <laughs> yeah well t- because we just have to do more modeling that's that's what it right. what it comes down to. And well, these blind mate interfaces become more important. Like the consistency of blind mating these will become that that that's where the, where the, this goes because you need to be able to mate them consistently every time the same way within the specification of the connector. Um, so I don't know fun challenges. So Nathaniel is saying that Silicon Photonics has been one year away from mainstream for quite a few years. I would like to thank you for acknowledging that it's been 18 months away, which is the, you know, we, we, when someone is saying something is a year away, that's just a little too tangibly close. It's, it's when it's, they're talking like 18 to 24 months. It's like, all right, that's just far enough away to not be verifiable. And, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I joke, but, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years, and I feel like Silicon Photonics has been one year away from mainstream for most of that, yeah, you know, depending on who you talk to. And so, you know, I mean, there's there's interesting stuff there. And I mean, certainly the like things like chiplets and stuff give that more legs because you do have that problem where it's like your new ASICs want to be on, you know, super high end, tiny little transistors. And then your photonics maybe want some different technology there. So anyway. But I do think silicon photonics are going to be this one thing in my career. The, 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 all these different manufacturers are going to hold this in front of me. They're going to dangle this carrot every time <laughs> we're designing something, and I'm going to get hopeful every time. And like, right. I, and I I'm I'm already well. I'll, I'm just going to go out and say it. Intel has already stomped on my heart twice now, and so it's it's painful. Intel, are you listening? Right. Should, should we tell him that we have a pre-meeting mailing list that we tell all of the vendors to dangle silicon photonics out in front of him? Nathaniel, yeah. I told you you're not thinking about Arian about that. It's a, it is important that that we we know that. Listen, Arian's easy. He's a uh, but Arian. I'd actually, you know, we, Arian, we kind of tease you about it, but I love the you know, like constantly like looking forward and kind of getting creative is is so important. It just feels like silicon photonics is destined to be a heartbreaker for a long time. And uh, we weren't going to tell you this, but we have a silicon photonic sample. We'll send it to you, Arian. I know, I know you do. I mean, I, 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 I you, you even gave me the uh, the twenty gig NRZ one that the, the what is it, the Firefly cable, and I'm I'm sure that tech has developed further. Um, but but ultimately, the the, the important bit is, for that, it's like honestly, for for silicon photonics to really work and to go somewhere. It needs to go on package. It needs to be paired with yeah. the die like on package, not as a separate optical engine that you still need to get through through the PCB because that just that by itself you're going through the the, the, the BGA package, the balls into your PCB back into your optical engine. You've already lost like the game. Like at this point, like the, yeah. like why bother? So th- which means that the only way this will happen is if we can figure out how to get this on package. Which means that we need to get uh, you know the the the, the switch. We, we need to make 
Yeah, exactly. Samtech. We need to get Samtech to make switching silicon. Or we need to do our own switching silicon and then invite Samtech to go put the. Oh, there we go. So maybe we did drink that booze after all. You know, I thought we gave it back, but apparently, yeah. First of all, I think Oxide is the would be is the perfect partner for Samtech. I'll just. I think uh, the, the the DNA of both companies are very similar, so that I think that will be a great partnership. And also for the two twenty four gig, I'm not even talking one hundred twelve gig, and that uh, Firefly connector that I talk about that goes is co packaged. We are partnered with quite a few uh, of the major chip makers uh, and a customer of theirs because it requires all three a system vendor, chip vendor, and connector vendor to yes. work together. Yeah, and and that is happening right now. But you know, there are it's it's a, it's it's a struggle also at the same time because getting three companies to talk to each other, especially if they're very large companies, some of them it's, it's difficult. well, not just very large companies. They all have three different roles. <laughs> they've played three different roles in the industry, and they've never had to cooperate in this manner right. until now because. The ASICs, the ASIC development has always happened a little bit in isolation, and then you know you just get the data sheet and you get a device and you make it work on your on your board, and then similarly the the, the you know the system integrator builds out of pieces that they that they that they find and 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 sometimes commission, but in order to now you, you need to you, yeah you're right you need to think about the ASIC design designers and 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 the, or rather the package designers. That needs to be planned, and that, but that means that you're now subject to these like five or six or even ten year cycles that these ASICs are on, and now you need to intercept that, and your system integrator needs to intercept that. It's it's this is going to be really interesting. Yeah. How how, and and I wonder if this is actually going to be caused to for some of this stuff to slow down because some of the like some of these partnerships, I don't know if they will be able to get to get done. To be quite. So I think that's where yeah. the customer, a, co a company like yours, actually has an advantage because you have not constrained yourself by the form factor of a one RU switch. Actually, right? You <laughs> call it OU, right? You have it as a OU and a half, like half width, and uh, so you're def defining your an own oxide form unit. factor, yeah, oxide unit. You're defining your own form factor so that. The overall architecture makes sense, and I think that's the approach that needs to be taken overall. And, and so you already are, are one step ahead of most of the system vendors in that case. Jigesh, I got to say, this just warms my heart because we are so used to people being like, and I feel like you're almost like, when you're talking about Oxide doing its own form factor, this is where other folks would be like looking for euphemism to explain like we're basically nuts. Or it's like, as you know, Oxide does not feel constrained. It's like, yeah, are you saying that we're weird? Um, <laughs> that we've done, but we definitely have done things our own way. We think for very good reason. And I, you know, it's been terrific that Samtech has, has always uh, just dug into the problems and understood why we've done it this way. It's been such a great, as you said earlier, a, we, the really perfect partnership. It's a model partnership um, for us. Uh, we definitely point other people to the, the Samtech Oxide partnership as, as really one in which we're innovating together. Uh, and uh, for those of you out there, if you haven't, uh, if, if you're hearing about Samtech for the first time, as you may well be, uh, it's a fun website to disappear on. And there's a lot of great content out there. Um, and uh, Jagnath and Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and
Arian, thank you for uh, th- uh, th- uh, thank you for finding them. Thank you for uh, you know taking <laughs> the approach that you did. Um, and it's it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to go actually uh, go build this thing together. I honestly yeah, thanks, don't guys. know who, how we would have built it otherwise. <laughs> we, exactly, we would not. We would have been. We would not have built it. So. Yeah. Yeah, thank all you right. very much. And I'm based in Santa Clara, and we have a lovely demo room that shows how all these different architectures can happen. Anyone wants to just stop by, we can do a quick lunch and learn for anyone. Uh, just reach out to Jonathan or me. There you go. Awesome. Well, and I, yeah, I would encourage folks to take you up on the offer because it's definitely earnest. All right. Well, hey, we're not going to be we're going to be off next week, uh, Adam. I'm actually giving a talk on social audio next week. Um, which okay. I'm, yeah. I, I so you should have us all there live commenting. I, in the I, chat. We should, we should do it. We actually, I, should. it's almost unfortunately, my, I think my position is slightly earlier in the day. This is a go to <laughs> go to Chicago. Um, but uh, really looking forward to be talking about what we've done here with Oxide and Friends. So, uh, if there are particular things you want me to hit on, definitely uh, hit me up in the DMs between now and then. So, it's been this has been so much fun to do, and in part because of uh, just like this discussion today has been a lot of fun. So, Thank you, Jingash and Jonathan and and Arian and Nathaniel. um, And uh, we'll see you in two weeks.